You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. So Ryan, the author of Trust Me, I'm Lying, and The Obstacle is the Way. Man, I've got to say that I've just finished listening to the audiobook of The Obstacle is the Way, and it's phenomenal, man. It's uh, it's really opened my mind to studying more into you know history and stoicism, and you've done so much and accomplished so much at such a young age. So congratulations on that, and uh, it's it's just amazing to have you on the end of the uh, the line. So thank you. Well, thank you. Awesome, man. So what we do is to, to start things off, we love quotes on Addicted to Success. So um, it'd be great if you could share what is your favorite quote? I mean, obviously I have all sorts of favorite quotes. But my you know, favorite one is probably got to be the one that I just spent you know, a few years of my life writing a book about, which is, is the quote from Marcus Aurelius that I based The Obstacles the Way On, where it says, the impediment to action advances action, but stands in the way it becomes the way. Um, and I, I loved it so much I ended up getting a tattoo on my arm. Um, but it, it, to me, it's this idea that, you know, what, what we think is a problem is actually an opportunity for us to do something that we weren't otherwise do. And, and that we sort of, we can face everything that we face as, a, as, as an opportunity. We can face it and say, all right, now I am able to do blank. And that attitude is sort of infinitely elastic and, and, and excites me a great deal. Yeah, it's such a profound quote. Um, that's crazy that you got it tattooed on your arm. It must mean a lot to you. So that's awesome. It's awesome when you find something that really um, really inspires you and, and drives you. That's, that's great. So what would you say would be your biggest obstacle so far in life? Uh, so it's, it's funny, like when you read a book about obstacles and how people overcome them, like the first thing you get asked is like, what obstacles did you, did you overcome? I actually try not to answer the question because I don't think, like I tried to write the book in a way that it wasn't about me. It was about, you know, this, this sort of uh, timeless philosophical principles that I try to hold myself to, but I fail at all the time, right? That's, that's sort of the idea. Um, look, I mean, I, I dropped out of college when I was 19 years old. Uh, I worked in Hollywood. I worked as a director of marketing in America Hill on my you know, 23rd birthday, give or take. Um, I've, I've worked on projects that haven't done well. I've worked on things that were total failures. I've, I've, I've also had a great deal of success, which, is a, which, which can, you know, an obstacle, right? Especially when you're a young person. So the, the way I think about it is that adversity or obstacles are not these one big things that happen to us. And then once we're done, it's like we're on easy street. Instead, I see obstacles and adversity as something that we face like on a day-to-day basis, right? We wake up and we want the world to be one way. We have a plan for how we'd like things to be. And then it never goes exactly like that. Instead, we spend most of our time responding to that in-between, right? The in-between between how we want things to be and how they actually are. And our days are spent in that response. And um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I think about it. Right. No, no, 100%. That's a great answer. Um, 
You know, the funny thing is, like, I, I, I know when I read books, and I've actually asked other people as well, I know you're big on reading your books uh, quite often. So what have you learned over the years that uh, has helped you to be able to best learn from the books you're reading? Sure. So, so my sort of, one of my most formative experiences in life is I was a research assistant to Robert Graves. Um, when he wrote his last two books, uh, one was Fifty Cent, and then this new one called Mastery. And working for Robert, I learned this sort of note card system, and it's how I read all my books now. And basically, it's sort of a three-part system. You know, you read, you know, obscure, interesting, you know, big books um, that challenge you. And as you're reading, you you write in them, you underline what catches your attention, you know, words that you don't know. Uh, quotes that you like, whatever, and you hold the bottom corners of the pages or you mark it with like a little post-it flag. And then about a couple weeks later, I'm, I'm locally behind right now, but you go back through with four by six note cards and you transfer all this information to physical note cards. And the reason you do that is instead of, you know, reading it on a Kindle or, you know, doing it in Evernote or whatever, is that it's the actual process of taking the knowledge from the book having it pass through your hand, whether you're typing it or you're writing it out, and transferring it. It's this sort of taking it from one sphere of your brain, flowing through your body and transferring it to another one. And then I take those cards and I organize them by theme that I keep in boxes in my house. So every one of my books is, is a series of these note cards, essentially. So the obstacle is the way is three parts. Um, with about 10 chapters in each part. The way that flows out in a box is that it's, it's three sections uh, with 10 sections each, so it's about 30 different stacks of note cards. That some might be five note cards and some might be, you know, 600 note cards. Um, but that, that's, that's the way that I read, and I find that this system allows me not only to retain the knowledge, but it, it allows me to organize and, and retain it over a long period of time. Yeah, and and I can definitely say that's an effective way. I've started implementing it into my reading. I've got like all these tags hanging out of all my books. Right. You really do take quite a lot more in, or even at least like what you feel is important to you. So that's that's great. And you know, you you've worked with Robert Greene, you know, and he's such a great author, and um, I'd imagine he'd be such a such a great mentor as well, uh, without a doubt. What do you feel made you a great mentee to to Robert? It's a, it's a two-way street, right? It's not just about having someone who's very knowledgeable and wants to teach someone. They have to find someone who really wants to learn and is going to avail themselves of those opportunities. So I feel like I had a couple things going for me. The big one was just random luck, right? I met Robert. We hit it off. He needed someone, and I jumped on that opportunity. Number two, I worked really, really hard. Like, I wanted it. Like, I, I find this with young people that I try to work with. Sometimes I feel like I want them to be successful more than they want it for themselves. And that wasn't the case with me and Robert. I wanted to learn. I knew what I was trying to get out of the relationship, which is I wanted to learn how to be a writer. And I was going to jump on every opportunity that I could that he presented to teach me what he knew. And that lens, you know, made me not just, I think, a good mentee, but someone who saw this from the long term. So it wasn't like hassling him about money all the time, although he did pay me, but it was like, I knew that I would, it's not only that I would do this for free, if he was, if he would charge me for it, I would gladly pay. I would, it would be worth more than, you know, any college education ever. So I thought about it that way. And then the other big thing that I think is important that people overlook, it's about having your shit together. You know, um, you can't mentee someone whose life is a total mess. 
for who's always getting in problems or always has an excuse or is never, you know, brings a full 100% of their attention to what you're asking them to do. And so I've always, you know, tried to take care of myself mentally and physically. I tried to, you know, make sure my life was low-key. I, I, I don't want to say I live like some sort of monkish existence, but like I knew that this, that this thing with Robert meant a lot. I wasn't going to mess it up because I was out like partying the night before or something ever. Yeah. No, that's, that's great, man. That's great. And what do you think would have, would have been the biggest lesson that you've actually learned from Robert apart from like how he actually, um, you know, uses the, the cards and dissects the books? Sure. I mean, aside from all the different like topics and subjects that he asked me to learn about and just the amazing things that he writes about in his books. I would say one of the biggest ones when I was when I was uh, working at American Apparel, um, Robert was on the board of directors, and I I came to him and I said, you know, Robert, like I'm thinking about like leaving in a in a few months to like work on my own project, right? And what what advice do you have? And he sat down and he was like, Ryan, like there's going to be like like let's say you leave in like six months or something. There's got it like that can be dead time where you're just waiting until you leave, or that can be a live time. And a live time is when you're taking advantage of everything, you're learning, you're making connections, and you're not wasting a single second. And it's like so many people spend huge chunks of their life, like, dead. Like, they have a job they don't like, and they just wait eight hours every day. Um, rather than, like, getting, like, knowing, like, look, i got to work this job to make money, but, like, I'm going to, I'm going to... I'm going to use every second of that to further my interests or whatever I'm working on. So that, that idea of a lifetime versus dead time is very huge for me. Yeah, totally. So do you feel like you've been able to, to become a lot more creative now that you have the freedom or does it not make much of a difference for you? Totally. Not being able, to, not, not having to go to an office, it was a huge transformative moment for me. Um, if only because like I can I expand my definition of what what is what is and isn't work right. So if I if I go for a run and I have a breakthrough in my writing or with a marketing client, then I was working. I might have been doing something that's for my health, but it was also work, right? Or if if hanging out with some friends, you know. I, I go out and I meet someone and then I end up signing them or something, right? That's work too. And so the problem is though, like when you work in an office, you have to like sit at your computer and you have to act and behave a certain way. And that's how people judge whether you're working hard or not. And having some freedom allowed me to sort of find my own rhythm that made the most sense for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And like, where do you, where do you find most of your inspiration? I know that you read a lot of uh, you know history books, and um, you even read some like weird fiction books as well. Like, where where do you find um, inspiration outside of uh, books as well? Um, I'm a big fan of like I travel a fair amount for my work, um, and I try to like sort of get something out of every place that I go. Um, so I'm a big fan of like going to like old historic places and just like, seeing weird stuff and like bumping into things. I also think that like, part of creativity is, is just being around other creative people who push you, who inspire you, who, you know, introduce you to random weird stuff that you otherwise wouldn't have known about. That's really, really important. And so, like, part of the reason that I'm engaged in all these different activities rather than, like, just being a writer or just being in marketing or whatever is that I find that that exposure is very crucial to creativity. And it gives me a kind of diverse 
broader perspective that's very beneficial. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I heard that you were out in uh, Italy uh, while you're riding the obstacle is the way. Like, how did you find the inspiration out there? Yeah, so part of what I was thinking is, like, look, I'm writing this book about stuff, and I mostly know what I want to say, but, like, I need to go to the places that I'm talking about and just sort of feel that energy. And I know that sounds like, you know, very, like, ridiculous. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to write about history, and then it's another to go stand at a place that is essentially, it's, on, on the one hand, it's unchanged for 2,000 years, and on the other, how many millions of other people have passed through this exact spot? And where are they now? They're, not, they're no longer alive. And it gives you this sense of, you know, how transitory our existence can be and how sort of brief and fleeting these moments of creativity and inspiration or success really are. And, and to me, I find that very, weirdly, I find that very both humbling and empowering at the same time. And I find that it fuels my writing a little bit. Yeah, and I bet you have these moments where you uh, come up with these amazing ideas and um, you just want to run to your iPhone and save it in or write it down on some notes. I mean, do you have moments like that? Oh, totally. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go for a run and I'll come in and I'll have, like, written something in my head or I'll have some idea. And I, like, come in and I'll be like, nobody talks to me. I need to get this down. Don't interrupt. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the great thing about um, being somebody that's creative is that, you know, no one can ever take that away from you. So have you have you found that, like, you've had any kind of troubles um, in marketing or, or writing with um, with any kind of, I don't know, I guess copycats or, um, like, legal kind of issues with any writing? Um, you know, not really. I, I find with creativity what a lot of people, like, people want what you have, right? They want what you've done. Like they, they either want, like, you know, the audience that you have, they want to accomplish what you've accomplished with clients, but they don't actually want to do the work that went into it. So it's like, I see people like, oh, like, you know, I saw what you did for, you know, for American Apparel or something. I want to do that. And it's like, oh, great. Well, then you shouldn't have such a boring product and you shouldn't be so afraid to take risks, you know? Um, so I see that a lot where people want something and they don't actually understand what is entailed in getting it and, and the depth that you have to, to go to get it. So then that's part of it. And then, yeah, like, look, I've dealt with plagiarism before. There was a guy who, who ripped off one of my, uh, one of my, he actually ripped off a huge chunk of my first book for a big, a big article. Um, and it, it was a whole big thing with the publisher they, they ended up firing him, which I felt terrible about. And I actually, I ended up writing an article where I, I took, I, I called up the publisher because this young writer had done something that was wrong. There's no question about it. But like, I feel like he didn't have the proper training and he didn't understand, you know, like how to, how to treat other people's work and how to sort of build and add to it. Um, and like this, this publication has been seeing that as a weakness that could be improved sort of cut the cord on it and I felt bad about that so I mean I guess that's one example there, I guess there are like quite a few gray areas when it comes to things like that like if you're referencing other material to, to understand it myself like if you're referencing uh, let's say like Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or someone like that like how does that work is that can you use all their work because it's kind of like in the public domain now or how, do, how does that work yeah, it's weird. So the way it, it works with translations like that is um, the the actual writing itself is in the public domain because it's been published for thousands of years. 
yet translation are considered like transformative or new work. So like if Penguin put out a translation of Marcus Aurelius in 2007, they own that for like 75 or 80 years or whatever the term of a copyright is, and you can't steal that. So there, there are, you know, there, there's both the, the actual firm legal boundaries, and then there's also just like good taste. Like, you know, I could theoretically just take what Marcus Aurelius is saying or any classical writer, slightly tweak it, put my own spin on it, and call it an original work. But we all know that, that that's kind of cheating, you know? And I think as a creative type, you want to hold yourself to a standard where you're very much inspired and indebted to the people who came before you. Um, like, I like the, there's a great book called Steal Like an Artist, um, which, I, which I think is great for anyone struggling with these issues. So while that's true, you're also adding on top of it something new, something amazing, something that only you could bring to the table, and then you're putting it out there in the world for, for someone to do the same thing to. Yeah, no, that's that's great. A great point there, Ryan. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I was speaking to uh, Simon Sinek a couple of weeks back, yeah. and um, we're talk, talking to him about his book. And um, I asked him, you know, like, have you got any advice for any uh, anybody that's looking at putting a book out or writing a book? And he said, Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, do, do you feel like that sometimes? Like, do you feel it's pretty tough to to publish a book? Or? Well, it's funny. I know Simon. He's done two amazing, very successful books. So we have the same the same publisher actually. Um, so I'm sure they don't want any. If you're as good as Simon Sinek, please write a book, right? Like, please don't deprive the world of that book. Um, but there's a great quote from George Orwell where he's saying, like, writing a book is so painful and takes so much time and energy that a writer must be driven by some demon in order to get through the process. So, like, what I say is, if you're like, oh, yeah, like, I want to write a book, you probably shouldn't. If you say, I have to write this book, I feel like I cannot continue to live if I don't write these things down and get them in front of people, then yes, you should consider it. And so it's not like, oh, you know, I'm kind of interested or I think this would be a good idea or whatever. It's not about that. It has to be like a deep, compelling need. Like you can't live or breathe if you don't get this thing off your chest. That's where great books come from. Yeah, and it must be an amazing feeling to be able to birth this idea or create this, um, you know, come up with this concept and then be able to put it into a book and then it, it's on shelves and hundreds of thousands of people are picking it up and, and being inspired by it. I mean, that must feel amazing. Yeah, but it's a very high hurdle and I don't even know if I've gotten there myself, but it's a very high hurdle. And so if you're not incredibly motivated to get past it, like you shouldn't just... You know what I mean? Like, don't don't even try. Like, unless unless you've got what it takes to go all the way, and you're confident in that, confident in that, like, hold off until you get there. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. And if you don't mind me asking, how long did it take you to write The Obstacle Is The Way? Well, that's always an interesting question with books. Because the short answer is, it took, you know, about three months of actual writing and then about six months of editing. But the reality is I've been wanting to write that book almost every day since I was 18 years old. And I thought about it every day, and I've been collecting cards and researching for it almost every day for something like seven years. Wow. Um, so it, it depends. It, it depends, right? Like, you know, my first book, I decided I would write it. It took about, you know, six months of, of thinking and research, you know, another six months of hardcore dedicated research, and then, you know, um, 
you know, months of writing and then editing. Um, my growth hacking book, which is very short, you know, didn't take anywhere near that long. So it's, it's really, it's the right, what I always say is that writing is not hard. Putting words together is not hard. Figuring out what it is that you have to say, why you need to say it, and how you're going to say it, that's the hard part. And that's where all the heavy lifting is done. Anyone can sit down and write. It's, it's, it's the having something to say and the organizational structure and sort of roadmap to get there that, that I think is the most difficult. Yeah, and, and when you hit the, the, like, the little small hurdles, like what do you do to switch it up? Do you like talk into a microphone and record or like a, a dictaphone or anything like that to kind of get, get the ideas flowing? Yeah, I try to avoid all that in advance. Like I've sketched out every chapter, you know, everything in advance um, with the note cards and I know what I'm going to say. I just don't know exactly how I'm going to arrange it all. So that's, that's a huge part is eliminating those roadblocks in advance. If you just sit down and you go like, oh, I'm going to write a book and you start writing, you're either going to, you're going to either create tons of unusable material that doesn't make any sense or is totally unrelated or you're going to run into a brick wall at some point and not know how to get around it because that's just the creative process. Um, but the other thing that I like to do is like, I, I think this is where having smart editors and smart collaborators come in handy um, and you, you walk them through what the problem you're having is. And I, there's a great line from Seth Godin where he says, like, you know, people get writer's block, but nobody gets talker's block, right? Like, nobody has a problem talking about what they're trying to say. And sometimes it's those conversations. They might not produce anything usable, but you get enough momentum from having the conversation that you can eventually return to the writing and get through it. Yeah, 100%, man. And, um, you know, Seth is an absolute legend. I know what you're saying. He, um... He's inspired me for a long time, and I know that it's great to see that he implements his own advice and techniques and gets amazing results. So, uh, yeah, what books are you reading at the moment? Um, I just read a really good book called Dear Sugar, which I liked, which is about, she's an advice columnist who writes for the rumpus. Um, I read uh, Bird by Bird uh, by Annie Lamont, which is a great book about writing. I'm reading a biography of William Tecumseh Sherman right now. He was a Civil War general. It's not as good as some of the other ones I've read on him. I, I, there's this one by D.H. Miguel Hart called Sherman, American Realist Soldier or something like that. It's probably my favorite. I, I, like to, I like to read very different things, um, and I, I like to always have a book on me. Um, and then I, I take, it's weird. I, I tend, I found that I, I wrote about this recently, but I tend, I find that I'm more of a binge reader. So I'll read for a lot in a very short period of time and then I'll, I'll sort of like get off a kick and then I'll, you know, relax a little bit and then I'll find something that's really exciting and then I'll just go crazy on it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you find yourself jumping from book to book or do you finish one book and then move to the next? The way I, I see it is life is too short to read crappy books. So, I one, I try to be very good about picking the books first, but I read a book. If it's not good, I stop reading and I move on to something else. But once something's good, I stick with it until I'm done, and I don't ever try to read more than one thing at one time. Yeah, no, that's good. That's that's dedication. And how do you know if a book is good before you purchase it? Like, do you have a look on Amazon and see if it's got a good rating? Um. 
Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I try to look for books that have good reviews. I try to find books that only you know people have uh, recommended to me. Um, I try to look for books that are older. Generally, I find that the older the book, if it's still selling and people are still talking about it, it means it's been sort of vetted by you know generations or whatever. It's more likely to continue to be relevant than if you read every new book that comes out. Um, but there's a great rule I heard where it's like, look. Um, 100 pages minus your age is how many pages you should give a book before you either quit it or stick with it. And what would you say is the crucial key elements to your success? Um, mentors definitely have been huge. I wouldn't be where I am if, they, if these people had not only taught me but opened up doors for me and invested in me. Um, number two would be reading, which I sort of consider to be kind of part of number one. Like, you know, you don't always have access to great mentors, but you do have great access to some of the smartest people who ever lived in the form of books. And then, um, you know, I've, I've been willing to take risks. I've been willing to work hard. And I've been willing to put myself out there. I think those are the things that sort of contributed to my success more than anything else. And I've also been in, you know, a very long-term committed relationship for almost the whole, almost since I started. And I feel like having a relationship that centers you and you know, forces you to be a better person, makes you better at your job too. Beautiful. And when's the big day, man? I heard you uh, you put a ring on it. I did, but I don't know when the big day is. Now it's like they got to plan this whole thing and we're, we're very reluctant. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually planning our own wedding at the moment, and there's a lot more to it than you think, hey, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's like a job that you not only don't get paid for, but like you have to pay for it. <laughs> that's it, that's it. And I got one more question before we wrap this up. All right. Yep, so uh, what does happiness mean to you? Happiness is being able to wake up every day and do exactly what I want to do with the people that I want to do it with. And I find that I am most unhappy when those factors are not the case, whether I'm having to go somewhere that I don't want to go because I committed to do something, or I'm having to spend time with people that I don't want to have to spend time with that I, I feel like are not conducive to my health or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's about waking up, being able to work on what I want to work on, be who I want to be, and with the people that I want to be with. Uh, awesome, Ryan. Thank you so much for dedicating your time today uh, with us and, and, you know, keep following your passion, man. You, um, you're serving a lot of people and inspiring a lot of people around the world, man. And I'm sure you're going to continue to be successful. Yeah. So good on you, man. Good on you. And, um, yeah, I'd just like to thank you for, uh, you know, sharing the good words with the addictedtosuccess.com community, man. I really appreciate it. That's awesome, man. Well, look, thank you for all the support that you've given my my friends and authors over the years as well. It's, you've got a great site, and thank you for finally talking to me as well. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. All right. See ya. See ya.